Hello, this is Susan Hopkins here from the Self Reg Show, and I am so pleased to be with my very special guest. Hello, Rodney. Hello, it's good to see you. <laughs> Always good to see you. We are doing a cross border, you know, Canadian to American, a little bit of a chat, That's a little right. bit of a hello today. Well, and it's it's quite exciting. We haven't done, I haven't recorded a Self Reg Show for a while, so it feels like you are just. Um, the perfect guest. This is Dr. Rodney Glasgow, and an amazing. I have been a fan from an, afar and uh, come across your name so many times over the last couple of years, in particular in some of the areas of work you do. But I got brought to you um, through a common friend we have, Joel, uh, who is Joel Gunsberg, who is a staff member of yours and took courses with me. And he's like, the two of you have to meet. And, and here we are. So happy to have you here. As everyone can see, those of you watching on the video, I have a bit of Christmas bling <laughs> behind me. Forgot that we weren't on Zoom, but uh, so that's the time of year, whatever, whenever you are joining us. So, so Ronnie, would you just start by uh, saying a few hellos to folks and maybe letting, letting everyone know uh, just a little bit about who you are, your story some of the roles, like I know you through one particular role uh, um, and an organization, but some of the roles that you play and just a little bit about how you got to those roles. Absolutely. Well, first, thanks to everybody listening and watching. And um, we feel your energy with us as, as you do that. And a special shout out to Joel, who just knows good people. And I'm glad to be one of them who've now met another one of them. Yeah. So good to be <laughs> good to be with you. My roles now, I always think about, okay, I'll tell you where I ended up, but it's also important kind of where I started. Yeah. So um, today I am the head of school at Sandy Spring Friends School, which is a three years old to 12th grade private Quaker school in Oney, Maryland, which is like deep Quaker country. Right. Um, and our school sits right on top of the Underground Railroad. It's just a fascinating part of the, part of the state and part of the country. In addition to that, I am president of the Glasgow Group, and we are a consortium of private school administrators from all different regions of the country who help other schools and students, faculty, parents, leaders to do this work of diversity and inclusion and belonging in their schools. We do conferences, we do retreats, we do climate assessments. Um, we were kind of jacks of all trades within that space. Um, and I also have the pleasure, I'm thinking about this, having just come from St. Louis for our annual NAIS, that's the National Association of Independent Schools, Student Diversity Leadership Conference and People of Color Conference. I serve as one of the founders and now one of the co-chairs of that student conference, which brought almost 2,000 young people together from, I was going to say all over the nation, but, but also some global folks um, to talk about how do we do this work in our schools as student leaders. And I've been doing that. Um, I, I look really great for my age, but I've been doing that for almost 30 years. <laughs> no way. No, I would not have. That number would not have been possible. Like, hmm. I, mean, I literally did start it as a kid. I know most people say that, but no, I did start it as a kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's it's interesting because, you know, when you're doing good work and making a difference in the world, look, look, you can also uh, maintain our youth. <laughs> it shows from the inside right on out. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I didn't know before that your school was, uh, the school where you're at was actually on the land of the Underground Railroad. Right. 
wow. Right. <laughs> no? How, how does that, does that change? How does that actually show up in the work that you do? So I will tell you, and I'm a, I'm a very spiritual person, and I will say, and I also had another person I ran into recently in another state who had been to our campus. Yeah. And he said, he was also an African-American man, and he said, you know, being on your campus, I got to tell you, I felt something there. I felt an ancestral spirit there. And when I heard it was the Underground Railroad, I was like, this makes sense. But in a really good way, like there's an energy on this campus that is peaceful, that is healing, that is safe. And you, you feel it before you see it. When you come up, it's a serene campus, right? It's not kind of bucolic in, in its own way. But spiritually, people talk about when I make the turn up the driveway, my body automatically exhales. And that's all kinds of people. That's what the Underground Railroad stood for, yeah. right? Um, and that's the spirit of the Quakers. And, and this land is special as well because it was, before it was our school, its last iteration before that was the family home and farm of a woman named Esther Scott, who was a single woman in the 1960s and didn't have any kids and wasn't married, but she was an educator. Yeah. And when the group of Quakers around here wanted to start a school, she immediately rose to that occasion and said, I want to give my home, 140 acres of Quaker farmland here in Montgomery County to start the school. And so there's also this, and she lived here until the day she died and helped with educating the students, right? And so, and so in that way, you also, I tell people you feel at home because this is, at the end of the day, this is a home and this is a safe space and refuge. You know, we have the other history of, of course, as we do all over the United States and, and Canada too, right? The displaced Native Americans were on the land of the Piscataway tribe who were displaced, right, so that all that other history um, yeah. would unfold. And you feel that as well. Yeah. And so walking on a place where you feel all of the tensions and histories of this country, this state, even just this little region, um, manifesting itself. And so I do feel the peace and I do feel the tension of that. Because if you're on the Underground Railroad, that means you're somewhere adjacent to slavery at the same time, right? Um, You're on this big old plot of land and yet there were displaced native tribes that that really claimed this. And so we try to wrestle with all of that in our education of the students and in our awareness as we honor the land and what's happened here. Incredible. And I'm just getting chills even kind of thinking about it, you know, and it's, I'm 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 glad that you connected it um, to the 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 displaced uh, children as well, the indigenous children right. in here. And because as you were speaking, well, it, you know, first of all, our connection to place and land and rootedness, like your belonging, is one of your big things. That's right. Uh, it's not just you know one friend to one friend. It is a yeah. whole context, and we're 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 connected to the land beneath our feet. And sometimes, you know, that has that has. Uh, stories, you know, like the the Underground Railroad, to me, as I hear that, I feel the tension you're talking about. But it is also this responsibility and this, you know, that this sort of, it is that sort of sense. Um, In Canada, I'm not sure if you know, uh, but there's underway across our country right now, 
um, it, it started on in BC and British Columbia in, in one school, but there was stories of the Indigenous children, you know, it's more than just displaced. I mean, there's some pretty horrific things in our history, and we need the truth. Like, we need to look at that. I believe in the, the idea of truth and reconciliation, but we're mm. facing, facing these things happened. Um, and, but what, what, what's new, what adds to that around the place is that not just that schools were an institution where children were, were forcibly taken, like they really were. And then, you know, names changed and, you know, some horrific things happened, but even just the, 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 the culture and the, the you know, teaching mm. you everything, everything, there was just so much harm done, but there was always these calls for children that had gone missing, right? Went away and never came back. And a few years ago now, they started um, with new technology, being able to survey the land, you know, where you can see the lasers. Yeah. And it started with something like 250 children, bodies. Wow. Unmarked graves of children in one. And it's over wow. 10,000. I'll have to check the numbers. And anybody watching this podcast, if you want to call me out on any language I use that, that I didn't quite get right or teach me on anything, please do, because I, I take that as as a as a lesson but it's 10,000 children that went away and did mm. not come home mm. you know and and so there's it, it's happening all over the country right now um but it makes us have to think about the place where we where we go to school and the responsibility and some have stories uplifting and hopeful in all of this and 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 some you know that they carry these dark these dark histories. And I love that you talked about wrestling. You know, we have to wrestle with all of that, right? You do. And you know what I so appreciate about what you said, and it's, and it's a, such a lesson for me and for everyone, right, is the words we choose yeah. are our first gift to the conversation we're having and to honoring the realities. And so I use the word displaced to be um, genteel. Yeah. And I'm so glad you were quick to say, well, it was more than displaced. In Canada. Or <laughs> and, well, we know here in the United States, it was a lot more than displaced, yeah. right? It was it was terrorized. It was removed. Yeah. It was yeah. murdered, right? It was stolen from. Yeah. Um, and so all of those things we know happened here. Um, and, and one of those things is reckoning with the realities of our past. I've been talking a lot about, because we were a Quaker school. And Quakers, you know, they were abolitionists. They were some of the first folks to have women in the, they wouldn't call it necessarily the ministry because it's not quite as um, structured in that way, but women who could even worship at a high level in that way. And, and so always being social justice minded. And Vanessa July, a very weighty Quaker, um, came to our school and, and talked about that's where we ended up. We always ended up on the right side of things, but we had to journey through. Quakers were abolitionists, but first they were slaveholders. They just went through a process of discernment that allowed them to more quickly get to a place where they could see the atrocities of slavery and be part of the solution, not the problem, yeah. right? And we want to tell that part of the story too, to not exonerate ourselves from our own historic wrongdoing. And, and sometimes we use that to get out of our present responsibilities for doing right. So we don't ever want to think in this particular context of where we are over here at Sandy Spring Friends that because we're Quakers, we are automatically on the right side of justice. You got to work at that part. You got to work every day at that part. You got to have somebody like a Susan say, now, Rodney, you said displaced when you should have said 
Radically <laughs> 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 removed against their will on the stuff they oh, right like that is the work every day yeah and and you know people in that work say when will we be done or isn't that exhausting it's like well you can never be done because the moment you think you're finished that's when the work itself starts to rise up again right yeah. it's, it's such active work the work of belonging i can never say it's like a good friendship yeah. Right. You and I are building a friendship. But if you call me and I don't call you back, I'm like, well, Susan knows we're friends. That might work once or twice. But if I never call you back under the assumption that, you know, we're friends, guess what? We won't be friends anymore because yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to work at it right every day in the present. Well, and what I love about that is it also brings in this humility you know, that none of us, you know, it's like, <laughs> want to cast the person, none of us, you know, and, and we all have things if we could look back in time, you know, so it's so easy to kind of sit on one side of history for something that we're talking in the past. And we will talk a little bit today about, you know, what we're both thinking about, you know, today, because today is its own whole, whole, you know, it, it's so much to kind of try to think about, especially when you're responsible for children and youth, right. right? But it's also being able to say that we've all, you know, held thoughts or misunderstandings or maybe done things you know, along the way. And, and there's, there's a humility around knowing that there is still more for all of us to learn. Right. And, and it makes it safe too. one of the things that I worry about. You use the um, the language you use, the acronym DEI, and we hear tend to hear more here in Canada, EDI. You know, okay. it, it is <laughs> acronyms. It's 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 the work, you know, it, it's and I'm going to ask you to tell me how you define that, because that's one one of my concerns is that 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 sometimes those terms get bounced around. And what do we really Because mm. you need to feel it as deep as I did when you told me you were on Underground Railroad. I felt yeah. that. Right. right. So yeah. um, and just knowing that is a is an important starting place and then what to do about it or, or how to support the people that are already doing lots about it. But how do we not polarize people further? Because I'm a big believer that if we can't come to the table and there are a few people out there I'm not coming to the table with. I get it. <laughs> there are. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying there's no boundaries to that. But my yeah. boundaries might be a little broader than some people because I don't. I, I think that the more we polarize, uh, the the more disservice we do to the very causes we're trying to change. Because we need it to be a societal movement. We need right. it. We need, you know, we need these things. We really, we really do. And if I can't find a way that I can come together with, you know, my work is about uh, self regulation. This isn't about me. This is about you. But we look at the difference between self regulation and self control. And if I'm working with teachers that are like. You know, it's all you got to punish, you got to suspend, and you mm. schools, and you've got to do all of these things that are not, um, you know, or or timeouts or sticker charts or whatever it is their approach to, to is. And it's not what I believe. I don't think the science backs all that up. And there's so many other ways. But if I come in with a judgment, I'm not going to have a conversation with that person. I got to believe that that person became an educator. You know, where that person's getting involved in community politics or in faith-based, whatever it is, because they care. They care about some of these things and other people. And that's a starting place, right? So mm. it seems to me to be a piece of, of the conversation, that humility as well, which you just demonstrated in, in spades, even though I was not actually <laughs> <laughs> to teach you anything. But it's interesting how you took it, right? Right. And um, that accountability. You know, we've been talking about you and I, the intersection of self-regulation, self-control, and yeah. the I work. Yeah. And the, the, inter the biggest part of that intersection is the self. 
Yeah. So I can't teach you yeah. self-regulation or self-control or even help you to self-regulate or yeah. self-control if I don't have regulation and control of my own self. Yeah. And that both starts with knowing the self well enough that I can get a handle on me yeah. and then knowing you well enough that I can help you get a handle on you because the way you regulate yourself and what works for you is going to naturally be different from what works for me because it's self-regulation. Yeah. I think sometimes, and we may be going off on somewhere different, but, <laughs> but I think sometimes- well, We warned Joel. He gave us a nice outline, but it's like, this is going to be a conversation. We don't that. know where we're going. <laughs> right? But, but sometimes, and especially in school settings- Self-regulation can be a word for institutional compliance. Yeah, Those absolutely. are different things, right? Institutional compliance is I'm trying to get you to do what I need you to do so that you can do what I need you to do, right? I want to get you under control so that I can keep you under my control. Self-regulation is I want you to be in control of yourself so that you can accomplish the goals you've set for yourself. Yeah. So it's, I feel like sometimes schools misuse self-regulation as a tool for institutional compliance, but it's really much more the top of Maslow's hierarchy, right? It's about self-realization, yeah, not about institutional standards. It's not about compliance. And there's we have a study that Stuart did one and for in child development, 200 and 447 different definitions of self-regulation. So that's why people are so confused, right? right? We use the neurobiological one, the, the brain-body uh, the body one, right? So yeah. it is not about do we want, you know, do we want peace and all these things in our in our in our schools and spaces? Yes, and compliance, you know, but compliance isn't the goal, right? And actually, I think sometimes we need to young people to learn to stand up. But how do you do it with respect and all of these things as That's well, true. right? So there is there is this. There, we do have a lot of misunderstandings, and I know there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of, it, it can be, there's my Sophie, she's going to show up and say, <laughs> here's me get excited, um, where where some some areas that are looking at, at, at self-regulation or there's uh, self-reg or, or they're looking at even social emotional learning as it can actually be used as a tool, thought of as a form of oppression. You're giving people color-coded cards and, you know, it's like, wait a minute, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? That's not really, that's definitely not the work that we do. It has a lot of the compassion and the spiritual element as well in it, you know, and we may, we are actually end up for some of the same goals we might've been seeking in the first place, but it's a completely different path. I'm really glad you linked those things. Mm. Can I ask you a next question? Of course. Because we have been talking <laughs> about <laughs> DEI. Uh, now, I'm just curious when you think about how you might speak to an audience that, let's say, is, is fairly new to the term. Mm-hmm. How do you describe DEI to others? Yep. And I, I use five quick components. And now, at least in the United States, we're saying DEIJB. So we've added, it's one of those expansive boxes. I like the J. I'm curious about the last one. <laughs> and it evolved because when I got into this work in the 90s, there was just D, right? There yeah. was just that diversity. Yeah. And and I say, and they're all important. Um, so I don't want to suggest that one is more important than the other. They're just different. And we normally mash them all together into the same concepts. But diversity to me on its on its face is really statistical. How many students of color versus white students are in this school? How many students on financial aid versus full pay in this private school? How many kids from this zip code, that zip code, different gender? Things you can quantify. 
And you can have that statistical diversity in a school, in a room, in a conversation, but not have equity, right? Equity is everybody gets what they need to be successful in that environment with an understanding that everybody may need something different to be successful. Um, for me as a student, that was the that was the break point. That was the special gift that Gilman School, my private school, gave to me as a public school kid born to a teenage mother in Baltimore, went to public schools until fifth grade and ended up at this very exclusive, very white, very male, all boys private school. They recognized, okay, he's going to need something a little different than the kid sitting next to him. And they found ways to make sure I had that. And without that, I would not have been successful. I watched other peers in other places who didn't get that, and they didn't make it through their school, yeah. right? Because they didn't get what they needed to be successful. So there's that equity piece. And then there's the inclusion piece, because I could have had both those things. I was part of the diversity. I had what I needed academically to be successful. My school took good care of me as a student. But did I feel included in the culture? When I walked around, did I feel like this reflects me, right? And, and there were some ways I did and some ways I really didn't. You know, I remember the first time going to that school and thinking I had never seen such wealth anywhere. It wasn't in my neighborhood. It wasn't in my private school. I had never seen, you heard of places with wood paneled walls and leather furniture. I'd never been to one like that. Mm -hmm. So just there, right there, my body went rigid. You know, you talk about self-regulation and amygdala hijack. I'm on amygdala hijack because I already know, like, this is not a place, a typical place for me. Yeah. And interestingly, the longer I was there, it became a typical place for me. <laughs> and my body started to, I put my feet up on that leather furniture by the time I was a senior. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's that inclusion piece. But and you could have all of that and not have the J, which is justice. If something happens to me here, am I gonna get the accountability and the repair as the same as if it happened to someone else? And we really struggled with that in the 90s. We struggle with that in schools today, right? When we look at, at least in this country, we had something we call Black At, which after the murder of George Floyd, all of these black and brown alums of independent schools were going to social media to connect their stories in their schools when they were students from this feeling of sort of walking around vulnerable um, and prone to attack as connecting it to the George Floyd story. And people were caught up in the, well, if I had known that had happened, I would have done something. If someone would have just told me, I would have done something, right? And I said, here's the thing. It's not about what happened that creates the hurt. That does hurt. But people hold on to the hurt because of how the response went or didn't go, yeah. right? As a marginalized person, I expect things to happen to me that may not happen to you. Um, as a woman, you expect things to happen to you that may not happen to me. Yeah. But it's in how people responded in that moment. Did I get justice in that moment? Did, did it happen to me and it was allowed to happen to me when it wouldn't have been allowed to happen to Rodney? Right. When it happened to Rodney, did you respond in a way that he ended up OK and the person who did that to him ended up, um, I hate the word punished, but ended up punished. Right. Or ended up held accountable in a way that when they did it to me, it didn't matter. Yeah. 
that's the justice piece. Yeah. And so you can feel included so long as everything's fine. And yet when something happened to me, nobody seems to respond. I mean, that's the story of marginalized people and wherever they are all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the B, which is the belonging. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would know it. I knew you would know it. <laughs> and that is, do I not just feel like I'm in this place and I'm reflected in this place? Do I feel like this is my place? Yeah. Like if I want to see something changed or different, I can raise my voice and we can work on that, right? We can, this place is as much me as, as it is you. That's that belonging sense. And so many people feel good in spaces, feel included, feel welcomed, right? But when you welcome someone, there is the acknowledgement of I'm welcoming you into my space. I might even say make yourself at home yeah. with the parentheses of, but this is not your home though, right? Oh, yeah. When you belong, you got the code to the door, you let yourself in. Yeah. And you know where your favorite stuff is in the refrigerator. You got your slippers on. I'll tell you my my most recent story of belonging <laughs> was it just happened to be the other, like two nights ago, I went to bed and I thought I was going to bed late. Went to bed about midnight of yeah. working. And I woke up early the next morning for work, get up about seven o'clock. And as I'm going to my car, there's a U-Haul in my driveway that was not there when I went to bed. Lo and behold, my son, who's about 31 years old, have moved back home in the middle of the night. <laughs> and you didn't wake up? I didn't wake up. I didn't, I it just, right? <laughs> and he had sent me a text before he went to bed later that morning night and said, um, I'm home, right? <laughs> I'll see you when you get home from work. Yeah, yeah. Just that sense of, I can come into this place at any time and yeah. it will welcome me. That's and not even just welcome me, it is also mine, right? Yeah. That's belonging. Fascinating. You know, as you as you're talking, I'm my my mind is going all over the place. <laughs> I love the way that you've that you've broken those things down. And it's so fascinating that we I'm just gonna go to the inclusion one. So we, you know, we talk about we use that term, but we don't really do it very well. And and we we so often if it's genuine inclusion, it's more like a co-location. Right. Or what yeah. you just described, even your story was, yeah, I felt I put my feet up on the leather couch. I felt comfortable and I put, you know, I felt safe there and all of those things. But you you took on someone else's culture and identity right. in the play. You right, you right. know, and and whether you do that knowingly or unknowingly, that was part that was part of that getting to the comfort level of I can put my my shoes up there. That's, right. That's very different from, it speaks to power from the, mm -hmm. you know, being being included, being, it's okay, I'm safe, you know, I can be part of this. To belonging means you could actually, I even think of like, you, you, I'm thinking older children, but even in when, when I work with kindergarten, you know, um, uh, kindergarten and sort of younger early years uh, people, it's trying to understand pedagogy. And, you know, if you were going to build a little corner and you thought you had all these materials for this play, this area that was going to be a little restaurant and they turn it into a hospital or a cart, you know, and it's just like, no, well, actually it, that, that that's theirs to shape. Right. right. You know, so uh, kind of disconnected, but it's the power piece. I think that is a really, really big one. And then when I think back, well, all of yours. So, I mean, I, justice is, is a big part of what, how I found you. Right. And, 
first place. But one of my big questions that I mean, I think it's one that I'm always, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, what my role is, what my role isn't, you know, where to stand up, all those things. And I have been my whole, and I've, I've evolved along the way, um, even in my, in my own language, how I parent and so on. So for a long time, I was, um, I was very much, I was quite proud to have raised my daughter and, and I would affect students and different places I worked. I worked a lot with Indigenous, uh, but I taught overseas and I've taught in lots of places where, you know, racism, for example, comes up and um, where it was to be not racist. And it took a while for me in the last couple of years to understand that was different from being, you know, that was different from being anti-racist and and taking those statements and kind of interrupting things. But one of the things I'm really, um, I'm always trying to figure out on this, on this is I notice that, I think I think self-reg sort of I, and by self-reg I just mean I mean the science of the brain body and the nervous system and what's going on when we feel threatened because what I notice is really good people like and and I've been in parts of this in other places you know in, in different contexts but the guards go up around anything that it becomes a, a, a you know equity diversity inclusion justice right the guards go up I find belonging. I've seen it done more separately, so it'd be really interesting to see them all together because it fits. Yeah. But the guards go up, and it's interesting because it's often that you just see things come to a bit of an impasse, and 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 it must be very draining on the person trying to facilitate conversations or planning or moving forward or how do we bring this in, um, mm. or in or how do we how do we take this lens and apply it to our curriculum or what we do in school right. discipline or what we do when there's you know, something in the news, like how do we take it and apply it? Because we can't get there if we can't move past that, but that these, these kind of defenses go up. And I, I often think it is because I, I think the the science of stress, so we look at stress in five domains, biological, emotion, cognitive, social, and pro-social, mm. so different kinds of stressors that are literally energy zapping. They gobble glucose, right? They change, they change your state. They can, all of those things can be part of it, right? Um, that it's almost like, like there's a guilt, like you did something wrong or there's a, mm-hmm. you know, and because you, you hear a lot of, there's a lot of that. The defenses will go up so right. easily uh, and we need to get the defenses down and have these conversations because, and, and it's not just facts. I've tried that one too, you know, but so yeah. for example, when you're talking about the justice idea, uh, you know, people will hear that George Floyd example, my daughter just had to do it in grade 10 as one of her. Um, assignments, which is, you know, kudos to the English teacher for bringing right. it in, right? So I just loved seeing that. Had to do that in the book, Brother, and compare them. And um, But not everybody gets that chance. But there's a great book. Uh, it, it's a Canadian book. It's called The Skin We're In. I've read The Skin mm. I'm In, too. <laughs> classic. But The Skin We're In is a Desmond Cole, I think. But he was a, he's a journalist. And he's basically telling the story of um, uh, Black and people of color's experience um, with, with police. Right. right? And, right. and so many people, like, I, I never really know how to get there because so many people will hear all of this and completely agree with the values and the philosophy of it, of equity, you know, diversity, inclusion, and all of these things. And in schools, it's not just adults. Right. Um, you don't realize the systemic layer is there and we really do get different treatment. And it's just like, oh, because that person did, you know, they had stolen a pack of cigarettes. And so right. that, 
no, that doesn't explain it. (laughs) Pulling them over and, you know, taking them down and around. That doesn't, like, it doesn't explain it. And there's something more. And it's like this shame, there's, it's a buried shame for some people, I think, in some ways that Mm. it's, it's, it, it feels like, no, I'm not racist, you know, no, I'm not, or I treat all children equally, or I don't want to single out any group. And then it, it gets it so that we're not able to get it at the heart of like these real conversations. You said your experience is different walking through the world. Right. Many of the people I'm, you know, the, you know, than, than mine, for example. Right. But I think that's something we just really, I don't know. There's some, some place to begin to open up there. So I just kind of went in a, in a, a total random tangent. So you can, you can pick up on anything there that you think might be worth. No, I loved it. And it, it wasn't random at all because it had me thinking about when you mentioned essentially fragility, right? People yeah. who, yeah. When, the, when the work is at their door yeah. or is theirs to own, they all of a sudden get their defenses up and they default to, but I'm a good person or that's not what I meant. So I would never think that, right? And so they don't engage in the work because it feels like it's making them feel bad about who they are when um, they shouldn't be made to feel that way. And I'm thinking... Now, we all have our moments of fragility. So I do have mine, right? Mine don't last very long because at my core, I know I'm a good person. Yeah. So even if I was to say something to you that was hurtful, I would be so convinced in my knowledge that I didn't mean to hurt you. Yeah. I don't have a problem apologizing or you telling me you were hurt or me saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, and there is no excuse for it, but I didn't think about that word, that thing, that, right? Because at my core, even if you were to walk away from me and say, you're a horrible person, I never want to speak to you again. It's like, okay, Susan, that's your perspective, but I I know I'm a good person. I made a mistake. Yeah, You don't have to forgive me. Yeah. But I'm thinking, and this is new thinking for me, Susan, so watch it unfold. You've got nine. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking maybe part of fragility is the knowledge of maybe you're right. Maybe I am not the person that I believe I am or I've been trying to convince you I am. And the more I sit in this work, the more I'm exposed for the person that I do know I am deep down. Because really good people... Yeah. When they hurt other people, when they don't understand something, when they do something they shouldn't, their biggest critics are themselves. Yeah. So if I hurt you, there's nothing you could say to me that would be worse than what I would say to myself in that moment for doing yeah. that to you. And it's interesting because it's it's pointing even even without labeling, you know, good or bad. It's saying there's some discomfort. Right. And, you know, I know that's talked about, but there's some discomfort. And like, I, I like... I'm sure there's a healthier, you know, more modern ways, but the parking lot idea kind of thing mm-hmm. that they're protecting, you know, to people that you can leave here, you know, today and believe and practice. And, you know, I really always want people to know, you know, my work is more about what they're doing in pedagogy and schools and these things, but right. not, there's no judgment there. Um, there's, you know, it, but if we don't stay with a bit of discomfort, you know, to get to the other side. And maybe you do. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I miss this because right. if we're going to catch it and like, you know, it's part of the, you're, a, you know, way more on this than I do, but part of just this, like, you know, this whole area, but I'm just thinking in terms of systemic change, 
any kind of change, right? You know, is it, it, it's messy and it's right. uncomfortable, and it has moments when you go forward and loop backwards, right? right. So it could be the slightest change, like a timetable change, <laughs> change. It, you know, it's it's not it it, but we we know it's worth. I think that's what I'm thinking with most of the people that just come to mind. You know, these are people that come to conferences like you and I do. Like they, they you know, we, right. we care. We want to be part of that. And, you know, we can get stuck up on on ideas about, oh, like that's the equity one is an important one. Oh, it's going to teach, you know, you know, we might, that fair is, fair is not equal. No, everyone right. gets what they need. Right. <laughs> you and, oh, it's going to cause all these. No, you just tell them everyone gets what they need, right? And, right. And, and, and then everyone gives what they can. It's, it, it, you know, there's another side to that too, uh, but we can't get there if we can't stay with a little bit of, you know, the fragility that you're talking about, recognize it when it's rising up. Maybe we could look at that as a stressor that, that fragility right. is actually an anxiety kind of response is it what is. it is. That's what it is. And it's like, let me get out of here as fast as I can. And then my brain rationalizes it's because that nonsense. Right. You know that. Or, right. or I don't know. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Because everything about fragility, that the way it manifests itself is in one yeah. of those three survival modes. It's either fight, yeah. flight, or freeze. All of the responses. Yeah. Either I'm getting out of here. I never should have come to this conference. Or I'll sit here, but I'm not going to engage anymore. Right. So that's yeah, the flight yeah. and the freeze. Or the fight. You should never have said that. Yeah. Right. You're wrong about that. And now I'm going to tell you how wrong you are. I mean, all of that is in is in the fragility. And I'm thinking about yeah. change. And the the best part of change, the best reason for change is to bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be as mm -hmm. an organization, as a person. But it starts with the admittance that there is a gap between where you are or who you are and where or who you want to be. Yeah. And until we can sit in that discomfort that the person I want to be, and you know, I think I'm a good person, yeah, yeah. but as good a person as I think I am, I'm still not the person I want to be. Yeah. And you're still human. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still human. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And so I've got to admit I'm yeah. thinking of my good friend, Diane Nichols from Bryn Mawr School, right? Who always says, we've never arrived. Yeah. We're always traveling. We yeah. should just be traveling further. We should never be standing still. We're always going somewhere. We're just never going to get there. And isn't that the glorious part, yeah. right? And, and But you do get some places. If I'm traveling from here to France, I can have some layovers, <laughs> right? And enjoy those places along the way. But I think for some folks, the idea of, and this is kind of um, westernized culture in a way too, where there must be a finite goal. There must be a quantifiable end. There must be a place where we can get to and say, we have made it. Yeah. But there isn't that when it comes to humanity. There isn't that when it comes to inclusion. As inclusive as something could be, you can always stretch to have more, right? There's never an end to that. In our organization, we, we did, like I've done lots of strategic plans because I worked in government. I've worked in different roles in education for a while. And Stuart and I did a strategic plan when I first joined the organization, the Merit Center, nine years ago. And it was, well, I, I kind of did most of it, I guess, but worked on it with him. And it was like out the window within two months because we were 
agile, we were really changing things so much. So we use strategic directions and talk about them like North stars. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. always digging and zagging what you do, but those are, you know, and it's right. more than just the vision. It's, these are the things we're working towards, you know? So what would you, if you were, let's say you were, let's say I'm a school principal and people out there listening, you might be in early years, you might be in university, you might be thinking of your family or community. We're just going to, you know, and we're going to choose that context of schools because it's, it's, it's one of your areas of expertise right. and it's top of mind. But let's say I am a school leader um, and I don't have to be a principal. I might be, you know, somebody in charge of counseling or whatever. And I'm, I ask you, I say, okay, I have a school, you know, the school, and we want to work towards, you know, we're worried about all of these things and we know, um, that it's, it's a, it's an area of focus for us for the coming year. What would you suggest? What kind of, I, I know, I know that's kind of putting you on the spot, but no, I'm, sure. I'm, like, what would you do? I love the question. And what came up for me top of mind is really interesting because it's not even what I would have thought I would say in response to that answer, but it starts with, are you sure you know what the problem is? <laughs> because you're identifying something that you think is a problem. But have you identified that? Have you looked at the data for that, right? Um, We all have our lenses. We all have our things we see and don't see. So what you see as a major problem for the school may just be something you're feeling, but maybe the rest of the students are feeling something different. So part of it, I always say, okay, can we start with an assessment of where we want to be and where we are? So let's get concrete about the problem. People ask all the time things like, how can my school be more inclusive? Yeah. My next question, inclusive on what dimension? In what ways? To which people, right? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And then we can talk, start to map the path. So a part of it is, I feel like school leaders are not tracking the data. It's almost like your school should run a little bit like your car, where you get in the car, you turn it on, and it right away gives you a few key metrics to let you know, okay, this car is ready to roll. Or it starts beeping, like, you know what? We're not ready, the tire, uh, the gas, right? And so what data do you have on your school's dashboard that you're looking at every day or every week to say, okay, this school is running the way we want it to run and therefore it can go in the direction we want it to go. And you know what I love what you just did? Because I I was clearly just kind of pulling a random scenario. But I wasn't actually feeling it. It was one of those tick box, you know, it might have been something I believe was, but I've got to do this. What do I do? Right. And it's like, you've got to be working on the right problem. And when you're you're doing a tick box, you can go back. You, the, the tick boxes, we don't want to throw those out completely. We go back and look at them later, make sure we didn't miss anything, right? They can be right. they can be helpful, but it's I always think we we see something we're going towards and then we draw a straight line there. And it's like, what are you gonna do? Put a couple of, you know parent nights on about right. <laughs> about including <laughs> more than that right so the other thing it reminds me I'm, I'm on it's 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 very interesting I have to be careful what I say because I I'm on this parent council for my mm. daughter's school and they don't really know me I know they know I'm an educator wow. um, but they don't really know so it's really interesting because um, um, you know and I'm also trying to not take it over which is you know I'm like we could do this no but there's chairs and I only have so much time <laughs> Um, but when you think of the data and the things that you're working on, um, there's there's the quantitative things as well. But but we did a little survey, and in some of the comments came out, you know, one of them really jumped out at me. It was only one, and it's a school of uh, I don't know 1,500 students or so. 
Um, but it was basically, you, you could tell from the comment um, that the that it, the parent, I, I would assume it's a racialized family and the, and the, the, the child had been a, a victim of, you know, this is a high school, had been a victim yeah. of, of racism and they felt that the school, mm. you know, gave all the surface level but didn't really protect that. So th that's sort of the gist. I'm not necessarily saying that's um, that's the case or not, but what's what's interesting when we think about about this is we if we want to feel that heart we could also say okay what are we feeling are we you know what are we noticing what are we hearing from parents what are we getting what what does our office referrals say and what are we trusting like ourselves like a barometer or what were we noticing in our gut instincts and then what do we have to back that up right. as well like let's spend a little more time there but yeah it jumped right out to me that i was actually giving you a tip tick box <laughs> and, and and how cool is that just that one step i think builds inclusion with whoever you're supporting because you're saying what are you really trying to solve and what it's that listening piece right i'm thinking about just yesterday i had lunch with six or seven of my high school students and yeah. um, they're very passionate about diversity and you know the history of our school founded in the middle of the civil rights movement on this quaker land right in this very liberal part of town and so um, we've been who we are for since the founding. We've been about justice since the founding. So I was saying to the students, you know, some schools are having real deep turmoil around DEI that we're just not having. Why do you think that is? And I thought they would say, oh, because we're Sandy Spring friends. We've always been this way. We were founded by people who thought this way. What they said was, oh, it's because we never talk about anything that would cause attention. Hmm. And I thought, oh, <laughs> they said, Yes, we work really well to get along. And so we don't talk about anything that might actually divide the community. Wow. And there are people who may have some things to say, but they're not going to say it if they think it's going to hurt somebody else. And see, when we're talking about leading <laughs> the society, like that's one of the things that worries me now when I see, you know, we have crazy politics here in Canada, but you have crazy politics. Yes. Crazy stuff. <laughs> and the things that are, are being said aloud and nobody's shutting that down or not, not loud enough. Right. Like that, that, that is, I mean, we want people to feel it in their heart, but we also, it's a societal thing because what we normalize, right? right? That it's normal to actually be thinking like that. But I, I have to tell you that, and I'm sure people listening that work in schools are also saying, have also noticed that you said something you didn't even realize. Mm. So you're asking these young people, you know, your high school students or whatever that why, you know, why you think we don't have this here. And you were where? <laughs> Sitting down, having lunch with them, having a conversation. And did you hear everybody listening? Did you hear the tone and that like he would be, you would be talking the, the same, everything right. as you're doing with me, right. it would be no different. And you're not there with this agenda to teach or any of those things. Right? right. So I think that's one of the big, you know, talk about belonging, but also how we, what we communicate about who, who school this is. Right. And you know, it is a, those little things add up and make a difference. It's really, it's, it's totally true. And then you start to see that come out in the school community. You made me think about a moment. I was walking to lunch a couple years ago here, and one of the first graders came right up to me and said, Rodney, how come the fourth graders can play four square and the first graders cannot? <laughs> and I had no idea. I'm like, I'm not even quite sure I know what four square is. <laughs> 
But I mean, she was big mad and she wanted to know, right? And the kids know who I am, right? They know I'm not their principal. I'm the head of the school. And I said, sweetheart, you just told me something. I don't even, I didn't even know this was a thing, but I bet there's a reason if you would ask your teacher, I bet she'd have a good reason. But if she doesn't, you let me know. And the teacher was coming up and just started laughing. She said, oh, I already told her my reason and she didn't like it. So she said, she's going to the next. I'm going to walk right up to the head of school in first grade and say, why is this like this? Yeah. And (laughs) and knowing that you're going to be listened and heard and maybe sometimes the answer is no. And, you know, it also reminds me of how we can start, you know, the the idea of genuine um, movement towards democracy in schools. Little chance. Somebody's upset about something. Well, let's write a letter on it. Let, right. Let's let's make our points. Let's not just do the, you know, who is it we want to try to make change for? And then and then on the other side, if we don't get what we wanted, we can feel really good about this. We advocated. We had a voice. That's right. It's democratic because we were able to do that. It's, you know, all those kinds yeah. of things. So, yeah. And she yeah. was asking the right question. As you know, first graders are some of the most prolific people on the planet, right? She didn't say, I want to play four square and I should be able to. She yeah. said... Why can't I, right? Maybe if I understood it, I'd be okay with it. But right now with the teacher saying, I'm not, I'm not digging that. That's not making sense. Well, you tell me something out, (laughs) right? Exactly. Justice. It's the (laughs) sense of injustice. It's like a little mini justice. I want justice. (laughs) That's right. If I can't do it, I at least want to understand why I can't. (laughs) <laughs> and so like the thing that I, I, I have to ask you about your molecule, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I want to, cause I really want to understand that one as well. But the thing that I'm taking away and that I hope others will take away is, okay, yes, you can do a plan and all those sorts of things, but there's also that every single interaction. And when you've got the, you have how, how many schools there's, you're the, the head, but then there's three, there's schools. three schools under it. There's yeah. Three schools and, you know, and, and, and that, we're having conversations like this and that's what they're seeing everywhere. How does that translate into the lessons that we're learning about, about all of those areas? What happens, you know, what happens when there's an injustice, when there's a problem, when anybody has a question or an idea or any of those things that it's, it's all of us. Right. Right. So it's really, it's modeling it, but then, you know, you can also afterwards start to name it. I think that's a good one for adults. It's like, Hey, wait a minute. Oh, this never happens in our school ever. Yeah. Here, let's talk about this scenario. What do you see? Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it goes back to, right, it's not about what's happening to me. It's about my ability to have control over what's happening to me. And so she was like, okay, I can't play Foursquare. That's happening to me. Yeah. But it's within my control to ask why is it happening? And maybe to suggest we make a change. And, and I think many adults, I, I, I noticed lots of new teachers that have just graduated that are getting, you know, they come in all gung-ho, but they're so afraid of somebody telling them to go F off or whatever, right. you know, and that is a real self-control place to come from. But once you get to the other side and you're like, you know, that that's, do I want them to do that? No, right. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just, you're responding to whatever it is that's happening and you don't have to have all the answers right. um, for coming at it from this stance of, of, of valuing um, the voices and others, right? So yeah ask you i want to i want to find out about the molecule because i've been told that it's a very very cool way <laughs> of new thinking but i i wanted to ask you you did a video i found it online mm. 
Um, and it was of, an, of, of a political event that I will mention enough that you'll, everyone will know what it is, but it's not really about the political event because it could have been anything. Right. It was a message to your students following um, what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. And I was really moved with that because I think so many people, you know, not many would think that the very first thing you're going to do is, is help children and youth make sense of it. Right. And how you framed it. And it had all the same spirit of, of who I'm sitting with today here. Uh, and I just thought that was really an interesting approach. And if there was any um, anything you wanted to add to that. It's, and, you know, we're coming up on the anniversary of that, how that was just a year ago. <laughs> boggles the mind, right? Yeah. So much has happened since then. But, you know, thinking it was, well, it was four years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Three, um, I think, or it was a while, yeah. It was a while ago. We were pandemic yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But thinking about, you know, what did we want young people who were hearing about it or who saw it to understand of it? That is, again, within our control. It's up to them to figure out, you know, ultimately what they think about anything. But what I knew I wanted my young people in my school and in my life to understand was what we just saw was not the best way to handle disagreement. Yeah. And and if we just focus there, I'm not saying who was right or who was wrong, but we can tell who was upset. Yeah. And what we saw was people who got upset and then, in my opinion, channeled that upset in a way that was harmful to the building, harmful yeah. to people in the building. And as Quakers, we believe in peaceful conflict of resolution. Right. And we didn't see that modeled that day. Yeah. So no matter what the conflict is or whose side we're on about, it, whatever that is, right, what they could have done differently was could we have stayed in conversation? Were there other ways they could have raised their upset that wouldn't have led to what we saw on our televisions? And just what I loved is that you just talked about it with any ease. It was only a couple of minutes, but already because they would be seeing it on the news and hearing right. and and it's so easy for these things to become become a problem. And it, it doesn't mean you were, you like, I just thought it was a really interesting approach of having these really direct conversations. And to me, it's trust. And it's right. also your view of the, of the child, right? As human, the, you know, it's honoring them as human right. beings, right? So. And um, honoring their ability to understand because a lot of time, and that was to like all yeah. of our students, right? Yeah. The, the youngest students saw me say that as well as the oldest. And, and what I try mm -hmm. to hold as an educator is they all can understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. They all can understand what I want you to think about is when you get upset about something, what's the best way to handle it, right? right? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> teach me the molecule. So I'm, I, I love it. I'm trying to think of what's the best way to, to get Susan to think about it. Um, I'll ask you a question and let's see if, if okay. you've seen my molecule. Because we have not. I tried. I I avoided it. It's been my thread <laughs> twice. And I'm like, no. I tried to be, I wanted to be surprised. So here's the, the concept of the molecule is kind of matching sort of science with social science. Okay. Um, we're starting with the chemistry of it, that out in the world, there's this periodic table of elements. Yeah. And those elements come together quite naturally to sort of form substances yeah. like ammonia, right? Has a certain substance. Baking soda is a certain substance. It's made up of certain elements. Some of them are the same elements, but they're very different substances because of how they've come together. And when you look at their makeup, you can tell the properties of ammonia. 
and you can tell the properties of baking soda. And you can almost kind of predict when baking soda and ammonia get together what that reaction is going to be like. So that's in the chemical world. In the social world, we are like that too as human beings. We have what I call an identity molecule. And we have a social table of elements, whether it's age, gender, race, religion, ability, socioeconomic status, family structure, and all those things kind of naturally form its way together to compose you as an identity molecule. And that's what gives you your properties, your makeup, how you show up in the world. And my molecule is different from your molecule. And so if I know what your molecule looks like and I know what mine looks like, I can predict when Susan and Rodney get together what some of the reactions might be to the things <laughs> around <laughs> to the things around. Right? So um, I have people actually draw what that molecule looks like. And it starts with a question that I'm going to ask you what you think my answer is, and I'll show you my molecule, and then I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. (laughs) So it starts with if something happens out in the world, Yeah. and you know it's about you, like maybe it didn't happen to other people around you, right? And you're thinking, or I'm thinking, because I'm going to ask you about me, okay, Rodney, this is... This is personal. This is about you. What part of me do you think on an identity level, I assume it must be about? Like this one must be at play. Okay. What do you, just knowing me, what do you think is the one I'm always like, oh, it must be. Uh, So which part of your identity is always at play? That I feel is always at play whenever I'm, whenever I'm in an interaction. Um... Does is a black man? Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair and accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, in fairness, I've heard you say it a couple of times. So. Right, and yeah. well, we speak our molecules, but this is my molecule. I hope you can see it. And so you see what's in the center of it. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. Race. Yeah. And how that's connected directly to my gender. So that is the first. Okay. Right. So every, if I'm in. Starbucks and a white person doesn't speak to me or looks at me funny, I'm thinking it's because I'm a black man in the Starbucks, right? They could be looking at me for any reason. They might not even be looking at me. I could be making it all up, but that's what I feel it's about, right? And then it sort of flows from there and being a black gay man is a little bit of a different experience, right? And being a black gay man at the age of 44 is a little bit of a different experience. And so that's how I see myself. Some people might say they're a 44-year-old gay black man. I would say I'm a black gay man who's 44, right? right? That's the order of those operations shows you my social cognition when I'm in a situation. And I've got to know that about myself because that's what I'm using to interpret everything around me. And sometimes I'm right about that and sometimes I'm wrong about that. But I can only catch myself, talk about self-regulation, I can only catch myself if I know myself. Yeah, so I'm yeah. thinking about the first time I went to London and I had not really been to, I hadn't been to Europe at all. So I'm landing, I took like an overnight flight, I'm landing, I'm ready to go, I'm a little sleepy. And when you come off the plane, you got to go through customs, of course, and there were two lines. There was um, UK plus said one line and yeah. other was the other one. Yeah. And you go to one of those two lines to get your passport checked. So me, right, you saw my molecule. Yeah, yeah. What do I feel like all the time? The other. So I'm going with my passport straight to other. 
Yeah. Now this is me and this is a Rodney Glasgow thing, right? I'm always, I, I go against the stream anyway. So the yeah. fact that 99% of the people were going to UK plus did not register with me at all. <laughs> because clearly none of them are gay black men who are age 44. So I'm going to other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my passport. And I saw a white uh, airport attendant look at me strange, almost look me up and down, try to size me up. And I'm thinking, see, I just got off the plane. Yeah. And already, already there's a racialized moment. Wow. And so the white attendant calls out to me and she goes, UK? And I turned around and put my hand on my hip. I said, I am just fine. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just trying to get my passport cleared. Thank yeah. you. Right? Because... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking she's asking, in your mind, yeah. am I okay, right? Which is like, no, I'm not okay. And she said, come here and show me your passport. And I'm thinking, see, we're about to have a racial moment already. Now I got to prove who I am. I haven't even got to customs. And she yeah. looked at it and she said, that's why I was saying UK. You belong in the UK plus line with the rest of the United States citizens. <laughs> what is... I was trying to help you. (laughs) But right there, my molecule and her molecule were in totally different places. Yeah. It's such a good example because, I mean, I'm sure many times the molecule is for a very good reason. But it it shows you how it can can truly color how you see the world, right? How you see the world, right? And she was probably thinking, I have no idea why he won't just let me help him. Because her molecule is totally different. She's not seeing from a racial standpoint, from someone who hasn't been to this country, who gets profiled all the time, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe I need to approach him differently if I would like to help him versus um, putting him in a mikla hijack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting as you're talking because I, I realize, like I'm trying to think of my own, and I, I, and uh, but I also realize context is really diff- depending. So I guess my own would probably be white woman first i'm i'm very conscious i just turned 55 so now i get all kinds of of qualify for all kinds of discounts which is a big joke for everybody right but so that one's showing up a little bit but i lived in italy for four years and Mm. i would say it was white woman i would say it was canadian woman right because that was actually a big it was the most connected to my country like i grew a real i mean i'm very proud to be canadian but i really It grew in Italy through the lies of it, but I became very, very conscious when I would meet anybody would start talking to me. That was always Canadian. Canadian, Right. So it's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's that is neat. So you run people through an activity where they begin to think of that. They begin to think that and begin to draw that. And I kind of talk them through it and they come up with the visual that helps them to decode themselves when they're in social situations, especially heightened social situations, because it also helps you to self-regulation, self-control and self-articulation, right? To be able to know, okay, I'm in this airport, I'm feeling this thing, right? She's not feeling it. And I can go, Rodney, you assumed. (laughs) And I could laugh at myself and I could also laugh with her, right? Because I could say to her, you know, I, listen, I'm a black man from the United States. I always assume I'm other. <laughs> but I also love that you get a little bit feisty. You're like ready for it, right? right? <laughs> that is a state shift too, right? You 
know? <laughs> yes, and that's the marginalized brain. Yeah. I mean, talk about really? self-regulation and self-control. In some ways, I always have to have self-control and self-regulation because the cost to me of not having it, right? And at the same time, I've always got to be ready to defend myself yeah, yeah. because of that too. So even just that tension, when you talked about, you had said something earlier about how that level of stress can like gobble up and play with the glucose in someone's body. And I'm thinking- yeah. Oh my gosh, this is reminding me of why African Americans have such high instance of diabetes. Yeah. Because absolutely. we live in that heightened state all the time. Oh, absolutely. Wow. This, <laughs> we need you know I would like to have more conversations <laughs> I sure hope we do. And I want to I want to ask you just one thing before we get and I want to make sure you share how people can reach you. Sure. Um, because I would assume that there'll be people that might be interested in you know, coming to one of your events or learning more from you or something like that. So we want to be sure that we land there. Yeah. But I, we, we teased at the end, I guess it's not really teased. We talked about you and I, before we went on camera, said about the state of the world, right? right. You know? And uh, even, f you know, I've, I've been doing this work for a lot of years and there's been a lot of states of the world, but it feel it's a tough time for all of us right yeah. now. I'm just wondering if you have any, I know there's no magic words, but any advice for anyone that is sort of trying to find a little bit of hope or working with young people or right. hearing how you're dealing, dealing with, yeah, the news, the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll start with a, a sadness and then a hope. And they're both very deep for me. My deep sadness is watching a world become more and more polarized without any sort of middle ground, without any... Mm -hmm space for consensus or growth all the stuff we just spent about an hour talking about yeah, yeah. like evaporating in our hands right our ability to stretch ourselves as human to see any other human perspective than our own yeah. um, and, and in some ways than our own group perspective that's really bothersome and at the same time i'm watching a generation of young people who are whatever their opinions are whatever their our perspectives are, they are so willing to put that out there and to challenge themselves and others with that um, and to express themselves. They've got all these new ways of doing it. And the activism around this particular generation is really inspiring. You know, the disconnect that I see is I'm watching them have all this activist energy and not know what to do with it. And I'm realizing, mm, as educators, you know, we stopped teaching yeah. not just the dates of revolution or the dates of a civil rights movement, but what were the tactics? What were the strategies? How did people solve these problems? Because we've solved these problems before, yeah. right? And, and I realized we didn't teach the tactics. And so they got all this energy and no rubric. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what to do with it. Yeah. You know, and I, I know, like, my daughter just walked in. That's why I muted for a second there. So she just came home, grade 10. And yeah. what I'm loving is her, I mentioned to you, the English teacher. And the English teacher has a lot of freedom in what they can teach. Right. But bringing it in and, and having, you know, that happens to be, uh, you know, there's different topics that there's, she's looking at neat things in history too, but a chance to like feel, yeah. <laughs> right? And go right. deeper and then begin to think about how it applies to today, right? What right. Do, yeah, absolutely. Because surfacing over, I mean, I think, yeah, I, we could go on for, we could open up a can of worms there. <laughs> um, because there are no new problems since the beginning of humankind. It's been the same problem manifested in different ways. Yeah. And so if we can look back and gather the 
the learning from there and apply it to the modern context, wow, we could accelerate in our humanity. Absolutely. And the hope, the science, you know, love, peace, right? right. The spiritual, our connectedness, right? All of these things there is, there is so much hope. Definitely. There really is. So, you know, and I, I, I truly believe for me, a piece is it's, it's the people, it's connections, it's crossing borders, having conversations like this. Right. Um, but it's also those continuing. Why am I now? What more can we do? What do we need to see differently? What do I need to learn? That's my big one. Uh, you know, that that's a piece of it. So that's right. And I'm thinking about, you know, my, my young people sitting at the table with me at lunch and saying, oh, we feel peaceful here because we don't discuss anything that might be a conflict. Yeah. And it put me in mind of Martin Luther King Jr., who reminded us that oh, yeah. true peace is not the absence of tension. It's the presence yeah. of justice. Yeah. And you might have to go through that tension to get to the peace. Yeah. The real peace. Yeah, absolutely. So so for you, that conversation that they had at the lunch is actually an invitation to go deeper now to have some hard right. difficult conversations it's not just about being nice right right because that's a different being right. nice and being peaceful are different things yeah yeah and i i taught in a i spent a few days in a northern an indigenous school and they were very self-reg but very trauma-informed is a way you might think about it and and it was a 50 students in the school but it was k-12 to and i spent you know, some time over three days. I was there for the whole week, I think. And I said to the high school students, they're like, oh, but we're so bored. And what it was, was they were, everyone was trying so hard not to trigger or to add stress and create this safe and all this lovely stuff that they weren't, they weren't like any sign of any discomfort, which learning comes from discomfort, right? You know, so yeah. Oh, so many good things. Now I need to go back and listen. I'm really glad you finished there because I, I kind of caught it in the beginning, but then I think I lost the trail of just how important that aha moment was that you had at that lunch, yes. right? Yeah. You feel safe, but now what are we going to, you know, there's right. more to it than that and, and, and healthy disruption, right? And learning from our students. So education is a two-way or multi-way street. Yeah. And so that they that they educated me at that lunch. I just love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. How do people find you if people want to reach out and mm-hmm. you know, have you as a speaker or go to one of your events or any of those or your 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 organization or any of those sorts of things? Yes, I, I would love it. You can find me on the Glasgowgroup.org. Glasgow is spelled like Scotland. Yeah. And it's all there. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure uh, having this conversation. Yes. uh, I hope we have more to come. I look forward to it. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like we have lots of things that we could build on. You know, so many intersections. That's right. So much, Rodney. Take care. You too. Bye.